Um, the title of the message today is The Blueprint, okay? And um, I've been part of Jubilee for just under 10 years now. And I imagine quite a few of you probably don't know what I do for a living. Uh, what I do is I'm a support worker. I work with uh, adults that have disabilities. And I work in a day centre, and it's a charity called Teesside Ability Support Centre. And uh, I love my job. I've been working there for just over four years. And um, it just, it's an honour to work with these people who have complex needs. And uh, we, we do different things. We um, provide transport through our minibuses. We provide activities. We provide lunches. Um, we do personal care. And um, we do um, like physio for members that need it. Um, we do something called hydrotherapy, which is basically therapy in a swimming pool. We have our own swimming pool. And we do uh, therapy on a trampoline as well called rebound therapy. And we go on external activities, which is a fancy way of saying we take them out on trips. Um, and I, I love my job, and I mentioned that already, and it's very rewarding. And because I've been there for such a long time, now I would say I've got my feet under the table now. I would say I'm settled in my job role. I'm okay with it. Um, don't want to get too cocky, but I would say I know the job pretty well. But when I see a new member of staff begin at task, we call task the short, um, I, have to, I go out my way a lot to help these guys settle in because I think about when I first started, how terrified I was. I really was. I was scared stiff. When I started the job, you start and you see all these faces you've never met before in your life. All these names you don't know, not just members, colleagues as well. They're thinking, I hope this guy's good. I hope we're not having to you know, pull up the slack on this guy. I hope he's going to step up to the plate. So there's that pressure. Um, Everyone's got their own unique way of being supported. We have things called support plans or care plans. We have to follow them. Not all members have the same care plan. Every member has different needs. We've got over 100 members. And I'm thinking, blooming heck, how am I going to learn all of this? And if I, just for example, if I give a member the wrong medication, it's not only going to be Jubilee Church Teesside's name you'll be seeing in the Gazette. And Gav's name, it's going to be mine. I'll be plastered all over the Gazette thinking, you know, neglectful carer, giving member wrong medication, people have lost their jobs over it. If I mishandle a member, because we do a lot of hoisting, we hoist members out of wheelchairs and things, everyone's got a moving and handling plan. If I don't follow that, if they fall and hurt themselves, I'm going to court. And I'm not really selling being a support worker, am I, this morning? But what I'm trying to say to you, I was stressed out, I was distressed. Every member has a different way of being supported for eating and drinking. If I feed a member and they choke, um, the emotional distress I'll cause them, their family, myself, especially when our members have such complex needs. Anyone want to be a support worker? So yeah, when I started, I was terrified. I could see the potential rewards of working for this charity, but I couldn't help think, what if I mess up? What if I do something wrong? What if I cause serious harm to somebody? And what settled me into my job was I had an excellent line manager. And she was great, her name's Kay, and she knew that I needed to work alongside someone who was more experienced in the job than I was. So what she did was she put me next to a guy called Martin. And Martin actually came on our online alpha course a couple of years ago. Absolutely fantastic man, and I love him a bit. And when I started shadowing Martin, 
He'd been working at task for 10 years, but what really struck out to me about him was that even though he'd been working at task for a long time, he still loved his job. He still had passion to work with the members. Not only did he love his members, he loved the, coll he loved his, the colleagues as well. And I was just absolutely amazed that that passion he had for the job didn't diminish over time. Martin kept me calm. He explained everything to me. He reminded me that our job of being support workers is not about getting paid. It's about providing the best service to our members. It's about making sure we send them home with smiles on their faces. He used to always say that to me. Show me the ropes. He was patient with me when I made mistakes. He did not just tell me when I did well. He told me why I did well. Martin always made himself available to answer questions I may have, even if I have to ask the same question over and over again. And he was a big factor in helping me to become more confident in my job role. And it's something that I'll never forget and I'll never stop being grateful for. And maybe you can think of a time similar in your life where you've started a new job, you've gone to a new situation, and someone's just got alongside you and helped you to settle into a new environment. And I can imagine you'd be very grateful that that person or those people have taken that time to help you through such an uncertain time. And when I think about how terrified I was when I started my job at Task, I can't help but think how terrifying it must be for new Christians when they start coming to church. They're probably feeling secure because in their minds, they think everybody knows more than me. I can't, comp I can't compare to this. And they do, they come comparing themselves to other people, people who know the Bible very well. I can't do that. And they put themselves under this unnecessary pressure. Uh, they, might be, they know they've got a place in the church. They know they've got to serve. They know that God wants to use them for the greater good. But where do you start? How do you go on about that? They've heard these things about called spiritual gifts. What are they? What are mine? How do I go on about finding that out? What's baptism? What's communion? It's, you know, we use all this jargon in church, don't we? And when we do it, I really do believe that we put people who are new to the church really uncomfortable because we're talking in a way they don't understand. It's not their fault. It's our fault. We're not taking the time to explain to them what all this is all about. A new Christian being part of a church can be very overwhelming. I've been a Christian a long time and I've forgotten that. But just thinking about how I start my job at task and thinking, yeah, must be, church must be a bit daunting for a new Christian trying to settle in. And it does seem the strategy for many churches today is that we get people to come to evangelistic event. Alpha is a good example because we use that. They, they say the sinner's prayer, they make the commitment to Christ, they become a Christian and they get baptized maybe. And then we, we just hope after that, they just turn up every week on a Sunday morning and everything will be just fine. And I, those things are great, but I just feel as if a key ingredient is missing, and that is discipleship, which I believe is a big part of the blueprint Jesus had for the church. And we'd agreed that new employees starting a new job need help from more experienced members of staff. But why at the same time would we not be willing to invest our time in new brothers and sisters in Christ? That doesn't make sense, does it? 
New Christians need mentoring. New Christians need more experienced Christians to share the lives with them, to guide them, who are going to share their life with them, to teach them, encourage them, correct them, evangelize with them, counsel them, and most importantly, love them. Yeah? Those who have been Christians a long time need to step up and take new Christians under their wing because let's face it, it's a tough time for new Christians starting the faith. Maybe you can remember when you became a Christian The enemy just attacks. The enemy doesn't like it. The enemy will try and discourage. And they need their brothers and sisters in Christ to get alongside them. Not just to leave them to fend for themselves and hope everyone will be okay. Because not only is that irresponsible, it's uncaring. These people need discipleship. And we cannot waste our knowledge and experience. Just keep it to ourselves. Jesus wants it to pass it on. I loved hearing after the last Alpha course that I think Julie and Shirley, they formed a group to keep things going with those guys, the new converts, and well done, absolutely fantastic. But I really believe that this is a strategy that needs to be multiplied within Jubilee. Yeah? This strategy needs to be multiplied if we want to see real growth in the church. After the online Alpha a couple of years ago, um, myself and Jodie, we set up Thrive, which meets on a Monday night on Zoom, And that was guys who came through the Alpha course. And what we've done is we've continued to teach these guys the foundations of Christianity, teaching them how to maintain their intimacy with God and how to reach out to those who don't know Jesus. But eventually, we can't do this forever. We're going to have to move them on. We're going to have to train them so one day they can make their own disciples and train their own leaders up. We have to be ready for multiplication so me and Jody are going to be investing in this group for a few years as we cannot rush discipleship because let's remember, you know, we can't squash discipleship within a few weeks or months. You know, even Jesus needed three years to work with his disciples and that was every day. So we need a significant amount of time to really invest and share lives with these people. But it's not just new converts that need discipleship. We all need discipleship, Yeah. We all need to be disciples who make disciples, yeah? Being a Christian is a team sport. We all need other Christians in our lives who we are going to be accountable to. And that is uncomfortable, isn't it? I don't want to tell people what the the rubbish stuff I've been up to. I want everyone to think that this guy's got it all sorted out. No, he doesn't. We need individuals in our lives who we can trust, who we can walk with, with our lives in Jesus, who can encourage us when we need it, kick us up the backside when we need it, because yes, we need that, all of us. And also, who have our best interest at heart, because all they want to do is see us thrive in Christ. We all need those. And maybe you've already got those people in your life, great. But if you don't, I'd really suggest you find those people. And what I'm saying is that all Christians need discipleship. The title for the message is The Blueprint. And when Jesus planned the church, when he revealed his great commission to his disciples, he mentions discipleship straight away. We cannot even begin to deny that discipleship wasn't even there when he revealed his great commission. And just so you don't think I'm making it up, let's read Matthew 28, 19 to 20. I haven't got on the screen, but you can turn your Bibles and just listen. So it says... Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So my first point is, I've got three points. Well, the first one is, discipleship is not optional. It's not. And when you read that passage, I wonder who you think Jesus is talking to here. Do you think he's just talking to those 11 disciples? Do you think those instructions are just for them? Do you think it's just for church leaders? Do you think it's just Raj, Gavin, Simon's job to, to make disciples? Is, is that what you're thinking? Do you think you've got to go to Bible college to make disciples? Do you think you've got to obtain a certain level of knowledge to make disciples so you're able to do it? Why don't we just simplify things for a moment? Let's not make things complicated. Because a disciple, right, it's a follower of Jesus who not only learns from his teaching, but you apply, they apply it as well. It's not complicated. It doesn't need a massive explanation. It's very simple. So when the disciples spent time with Jesus, they didn't just listen to him teach. They also went out with him into the front lines and he applied what they learned. So I ask, are we disciples of Jesus? I hope so. If we are, then surely these words that Jesus is saying to us are not just being directed to those 11 disciples, they're also for us today. We all have to step up, we all have to get stuck in, contribute, invest our time in other believers and play our part. Now, when reading those couple of verses, I wonder if you think that, is Jesus asking the disciples to do this? Or is he commanding the disciples to do this? I wonder which one you're thinking. Well, let's look at the passage. It says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's pretty clear to me. That's not, it's not optional. Discipleship, it's a command. Yeah. So are we going to disobey what Christ has commanded us to do? And if we decide that discipleship is not for us and it's for somebody else, sorry, we're disobeying Christ. All right? So if you're not discipling anybody right now, don't beat yourself up about it. You know, we're here to love each other and help each other grow. But what I would suggest is make some changes. Step up, take responsibility, and make sure you're obeying these commands that Jesus has given us. This is the blueprint on church growth. It's not about courses. It's not about programs. It's not about celebrity Christians or which church has the fanciest building. It's not about getting loads of money in the offering. It's not even about getting bums on church pews on a Sunday. Discipleship, real biblical church growth comes through discipleship, which is completely devoted to Jesus. But it's so easy to make excuses, isn't it? I've done it. I've said, ah, oh, I can't do that. We can often forget what Christ has commanded us to do and just go on to the reasons why we shouldn't make disciples. We can say we're too busy, we have too many family commitments, we're too tired from work, we're too tired with the kids, cleaning the house, serving the community. We could say we're not intelligent enough, we could say we're not qualified enough, we could say I'm not confident enough to do it. Maybe, I don't know if you remember my illustration from a few months ago when everybody lined up here, but maybe you think that you'll do discipleship at a later stage in your life when life isn't as hectic. Like really, is life going to get less busy? Don't think so. Or maybe the real excuse is, and I've been here before myself, you just can't be bothered. It's too much hard work. What, you know? 
So if you're making excuses, and I said to you as well, I've been there before, please stop because you may fool me, but you're not going to fool God. You need to repent and sort it out, realign your priorities, maybe remove some things from your life which is stopping you or distracting you from being a disciple maker. Because if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you've got to do what he commands, all right? Yes, we mess up. Yes, we sin. But the end goal is we've got to keep trying and pressing to do what Christ has commanded, not just live in disobedience and in ignorance. So the next point I want to make is no one should be sat on the sidelines in church. Nobody, all right? I think of Jubilee, and I look around this room right now, and I'm really excited, all right? I just see all these gifts in this room. I see people who are classic speaking, classic teaching, people who are musical, people who are great with young people. I see people who are excellent at being pastoral, they get alongside people, people who can speak in tongues, interpret tongues, people who can give prophetic words, people who can distinguish between good and evil. I see that in this room right now, and there's a lot of people in our fellowship who aren't here. That's awesome. I'm excited. I think about the other churches out there, the potential that the church has is amazing. And I think, I look at you all now and I think about how precious you all are in the eyes of God. God thinks like the world of all of you. And that means he's got amazing plans for all of you. It's not just something we say in church. It's true. And when I, but obviously I'm excited about that, but also sometimes I get a bit anxious about that because the problem with potential is that there's a possibility of it being wasted. If we don't get ourselves out there and use the gifts that God's given us, we will waste away and avoid spiritual maturity. I truly believe that we thrive when we step up and take responsibility. God has not planned for anybody in his church to be sat in the background hiding. God has not planned for any part of his body to be inactive. You're part of the body for a reason. And I hope that makes you feel valued because God values you and he wants to use you. It's confirmed in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That there alone confirms that God's given us all a spiritual gift. Okay, let's keep reading. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith for the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one. It doesn't say he distributes them just to the church leaders, does it? It says each one. That includes you guys. Be excited about that, just as he determines. Now, has anybody here seen the film Avengers Endgame? Anyone? I was expecting more hands up than that. Good, good. Right. We're a few, though, aren't we? Dear me. Okay, you need to watch that film. Okay. But, um, yeah, it's one of my favorite films, and for the, for the many of you who haven't seen it before, um, I, I know people like the film that much, they've seen it five or six times at the cinema. I think, I think Jordi, did we go and see it twice? Three times, okay. Um, fair enough. I think we're telling everyone I've got too much time on our hands here. Right, but for those who haven't seen the film, right, there's this terrible villain called Thanos, 
And what he wants to do is he wants to wipe out half of the world's population. Okay. So to stop them, the film presents this team of gifted superheroes um, that's going to team up and stop Thanos and his army. All right. So in this film, you see Captain America, you see Iron Man, you see Thor, you see Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, and many gifted people team up together to fight for the greater good and stop this dreadful thing from happening. All right. So the Avengers, that's what they're called, the Avengers, this team, even though they're all individually flawed, they combine their skills and abilities to fight the enemy. They overcome Thanos and his enemy, they win the war, and they save the Earth. Maybe I should have shouted spoiler alert before I said that. <laughs> Sorry. But can I just rewrite this film for a second? If you're a massive fan of this film, I apologize, right? But let's rewrite this film. Imagine, right, if Captain America said to the Avengers before the, the take on Thanos, assemble, because that's what he says, all right? And Iron Man, Thor, Spider-Man, the rest of the gang turn around and say to him, you know what, Cap? Uh, we're not going to bother. We're just going to stay at home and let you do it. We're just going to, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pray for you, though. You know, we'll, you know we'll, you'll be in our thoughts. Hope it goes well, mate. Imagine if Captain America received that from these people who were supposed to be fighting alongside him. And he's fighting thousands of enemies on his own. We'd be saying, wouldn't we? Well, that's not fair. Why aren't those cowards helping him? We'd be asking that, surely, and the film would be very short, wouldn't it? The big battle at the end will last probably two seconds. But don't you think we do that when we don't step up to the plate and use the gifts that God's given us? When we stay at home and just leave all the work of reaching out in discipleship to our leaders? Now, I'm not sure how accurate this figure is, but I looked at the census of last year, and apparently the population of Teesside is 570,000. I looked at different websites and some said low number. We're going to go with 570,000. Why not? Yeah, might as well. Um, so the harvest of this church, it's in the name, Jubilee Church, Teesside. It's Teesside, isn't it? There's 570,000 people living in Teesside. So if we expect, right, Raj and Charlotte, Simon and Jordy, Gavin Haley to reach out to all these people and disciple them, they're going to be very busy, aren't they? Yeah? If, you know, that's fair, isn't it? You know, you guys, the six of you, you know, you just go out and shepherd 570,000 people, but you better get cracking because you've got a lot of work to do. Yeah? But make sure you still provide us a good quality teaching on Sunday as well. All right. Okay. But it's laughable, isn't it? Well, my, my example's ridiculous, I know, but it makes the point. Um, we can't, it'd be unfair to have such expectation on our leaders. Those poor guys, even though, you know, they're good, they're going to burn out and melt down, you know. And no one, absolutely nobody can pull that off. You know, Jesus had 12, didn't he? And that is why we all need to join with them in the fight and all make a contribution to reaching out in discipleship. It would be a dreadful thing for us to disobey the commands of Jesus and to neglect discipleship altogether. So let's work together and make sure this doesn't happen. Let's lighten the load on each other. Leadership is vital. It's important in the church. But we all need to step up as well. Okay. And my final point is that all believers must be disciples who make disciples. Maybe some of you hear that and you feel a bit, oh, that sounds a bit scary. Maybe some of you are excited about that. I hope you are because it's a class calling on your life that God's given you. Just pursue it. Go for it. 
The past few years, Geordie and I, we've been reading books, written, during the lockdown especially, uh, we've been reading, book, reading books by Francis Chan. I'm sure many of you have heard of him. Well-known Christian leader and author. And books we've read include Multiply and Letters to Church. I think, Gav, you did a section on that as well, didn't Letters to Church. And I recommend all of you, if you haven't already read those books, because what they do is they give the church, they kick up the backside it needs. It really does. And it really stirred myself and Geordie up into discipleship. Francis Chan, used to run Cornerstone Church. I don't know if you know that, which is in San Francisco. And the church got built to the point where 5,000 people were coming. Now, when I say that, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Wow, that's exciting. Maybe you're thinking, I wish Jubilee had 5,000 people coming to it. If you speak to Francis Chan about that, he'll tell you differently. He will say to you that having a church that big was damaging to the people who attended. Very controversial. People, what was happening was, right, he was preaching every week. People were coming. All the seats were getting filled. But people were not stepping out for Christ. They were just turning up expecting to be fed every Sunday. In other words, they were just consumers. And they weren't using the abilities that God had given. They had no intentions of serving the church and getting stuck into the mission. That's tragic. He mentions in his book that he found they were just hiding in this large sea of faces. He realized that himself and his other leadership team, they could not disciple all these people on their own. It was just too much work, and he found that many people were coming to his church because it was Francis Chan's church, because of his big name. He's written all these books. And he would go around after church, and he would hear people talk more about Francis Chan than the Holy Spirit. Got to be very careful how we grow the church. And he realized, as well as having this massive congregation, they were not really loving each other. That intimacy could not be maintained and replicated in such a big group. Many people were not stepping up. They were not using the gifts as they thought it was just Francis Chan's job to do everything. He's got the name. Why not? He's got the qualifications. He's written the books. So surely he's got to do it. And we've just got to turn and listen to him speak and go home and not think anything of it. And even though his church was grow growing numerically, they were not growing spiritually and they were not growing in togetherness. They weren't using the gifts, they weren't serving, they were consuming. So about 10 years ago, Francis Chan left Cornerstone. And what he could, what he, as he could just see this lack of discipleship, people not wanting to be part of this mission. And he just, as a leader, he couldn't condone this behavior anymore. So when he left, him, him and his family, his wife and his kids, they went to live in China for a bit. And they got involved with an underground church over there, house church. And obviously the church in China, the last 10 to 15 years, has grown massively. We need to be asking, why is that? But not, it's not just numbers, it's people actually giving their lives to Jesus and serving him. And um, Francis was blown away when he came to these meetings by the level of intimacy that was in these groups. Because what, what it was was, they're all in one heart, in one mind. Even the young people were praying, speaking in tongues, prophesying over the older people, and they were even praying about God sending them into the most persecuted places of the world so they could preach the gospel and disciple people. This is young people. And within their church, they were raising leaders so when the church grew, they could multiply it. 
Which church is thriving here? The church of 5,000 people, only 10 people are doing all the work. Or the church of 16, where everyone's committed to the mission, and it's being multiplied into another church that's going to do the same. And this movement can happen over here as well, and it's biblical, but only when we disciple people. We must not also tolerate being comfortable. We must challenge, raise leaders within the group, and push people to invest in others, just like you've done with them. It's not all about receiving. It's not all about getting fed. Discipleship is also not about getting a group of believers to depend all on you. That's wrong. That's idolatry. You read in Acts 2, 42 to 49, the first church, that did not happen. We read that they met in small discipleship groups in each other's homes. They shared life. They shared their possessions. They had intimacy. They shared life together. It's not just a phrase they used. They did it. But as the disciples taught their group of people who were leading, they were teaching and preparing them that one day they will have to step out. They have to leave the nest. They have to invest in their own group of people. And from that, this church grew. It multiplied. It was messy, but we read in Acts chapter 4 that all believers were in one heart and one mind. We can't deny it in the Bible. And the church became a real force to be reckoned with. Do you want to be a force to be reckoned with? And sometimes you come across believers, well, this is why you need to make your disciples make disciples, because some believers just cost. They don't go anywhere, they don't grow. And I've come across many believers that have been in the faith for over 10 years, but they haven't grown. They still live as if they're a new convert. They, they're still afraid to share the gospel. They hardly pray and they don't read the Bible. They remain unsure what their gifting is. They don't, they don't know what God's called them to do. They've never known what God's called them to do. And that's not really all their fault because we haven't got alongside them and helped them through it. The last thing they want to do is disciple others because they don't want accountability. They're not willing to invest their time in others and making the same old repetitive excuses that I mentioned in my first point. You know, some people only turn up to church if it's a certain person speaking and are scheduled to speak. They remain unequipped to stand firm in their faith when the enemy attacks. Basically, all, all they're interested in is just being fed, which is why we see so many church hoppers. I'm going to say it, we see it in Teesside all the time. People hopping from church to church to church. There's no spiritual maturity here. There's no real growth. But Paul speaks against this attitude of not pursuing spiritual maturity in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. He says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up. So remember, the words built up are being used. He doesn't want us to stay the same. He wants us to grow. So the uh, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. You know, we can't just stay as an infant Christian. We've got to grow. We've got to get off the milk and onto the solids, yeah? Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants. That's the plan that God's got for our lives. He doesn't want us to be infants, yeah? Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there and by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So here, the plan that Christ has for the church, that yes, he wants us connected, but he wants us to grow and mature as well. So let's get out, let's get serious about our walk with God and let's help others to do the same. But we cannot do this without discipleship. So I just want to finish off, really. Um, I just said how to respond to that, really. Um, and maybe you're already discipling people and you're accountable to people. Great, bless you. But if you're not, get some guidance from the elders, maybe. But find people in the church who you can be accountable to, who you want to share life with, who you can meet with regularly, who are willing to ask you the uncomfortable questions, someone who you can talk to about you know, what are you reading in your Bible? What are you praying about? How are you using your spiritual gifts? What has God called you to do? We need people in our lives who are going to give us a prod and make sure we're going to that right direction because it's so easy to stand still and do nothing. Someone who we can say to them, I've got this sin going on in my life. I'm being stupid. I need help sorting it out. To be open with somebody about that is the last thing Satan wants you to do. He wants you to bottle it up, struggle, and go by, through it by yourself. You know, let somebody in. I'm not saying tell the whole church, but let somebody in who can help you. We all need people who will push us to be more, to step out of our faith more, but also who can be accountable to. But at the same time, don't be greedy on receiving. So easy. Pray about who God wants you to invest your time in. And make your disciples. Meet with these people regularly. Love them. Treat them as members of your own family. Love them that much. Share life with them. Encourage them. Challenge them. Help them to believe that they too are important to God and his kingdom. And they too can become disciple makers. Tell them that from the start. Make that the expectation. You don't want them to be shocked later on when it's actually... You're going to make disciples now. Let them know from the beginning. But I've said this before. I'm going to say this again. Discipleship is for the long haul. You can't do it in a few weeks. Jesus needed three years. How long do we need? Yeah? We can't just cram it in a few weeks. We've got, we can't rush discipleship. Let's make sure we do it right. And I just truly believe that if we follow this blueprint that Jesus has given us, we will not just see growth numerically in the church, but we'll also see growth in intimacy and maturity. So let's become a thriving church. God bless. You can do it. Thank you, Rob. Now, a few of us are feeling challenged by that a bit. It's a challenging word. Sometimes it takes uh, a word like that to challenge us for God to grab our attention. But I just want to say, if you are feeling challenged now, if you are feeling maybe convicted now, I want to just remind you uh, of God's grace. God is a, a God of grace. He's not uh, an angry school teacher who's going to put us in detention for not doing as we're supposed to do. You might feel challenged in this area of discipleship. It's not that God's angry with you. It's not that God's condemning you. But actually, God uh, sees the, the joy and the delight in, in other people being discipled. People making that decision to follow Jesus for themselves. People making that choice to follow him and being able to walk through that with them is a pleasure. And God wants to invite us to be part of that pleasure. He's a God of grace. So if you are feeling challenged by this, use that challenge. Use that challenge to go out and see who you could disciple, who you could lead to Jesus. But do it knowing 
uh, the God of grace doesn't condemn, but lovingly challenges us.